a church in Bags, Wyoming, which is a thriving metropolis of several million people. Um, no, I have a shirt that says Paris, London, New York, Bags on it in that order. So uh, anyways, we go to Bags and they rally children from all around the neighborhood. And then these students with a few adults just kind of pitching and keeping things in line go together to work and uh, to, I see the shirt. Is that a VBS shirt right there? Yeah, there's a VBS shirt, Kingdom Rock. And uh, so we'll be rounding kids from Bags, Wyoming together, going through a vacation Bible school. We're teaching, the, the theme is Kingdom Rock, where kids stand strong for God. And we teach through, we teach about the King David. We keep, teach about Queen Esther. We teach about Nehemiah, who rebuilt the walls and then we teach about, actually we'll end on Thursday, we teach about Jesus coming. So it's a great opportunity for all of us to share the gospel with some kids and also some infusion of some life and excitement up at that Snake River Community Church in Bags, Wyoming. Great. All you elders, find somebody to lay hands on. Let's pray for them. Father, I pray for this group. Lord, uh, I pray that you would use them in a fantastic way this week. Lord, uh, first of all, that you would give them safety there and back. But, Lord, that you would help them to, um, to, to love the people in bags well. Father, I think of the children that are coming. Some of them, I'm sure, have, uh, don't know you, maybe have never heard of you. And I pray that this would be a chance where they would learn about uh, the true Lord Jesus who loves to care for people and look, uh, look out for them and watch over them. I pray, Father, that this would be a time when they'd, they'd learn about uh, your Bible and the gospel and they would learn uh, the truth of what it means to follow you and to turn to you and to stand strong for you. So give this group uh, um, just wide open doors to talk to people and uh, let your spirit go ahead of them and prepare the hearts of those people and bless them. And we pray this in your son's name, Jesus, and we ask that you would take care of them. Amen. Thanks, guys. Just as a help for those, there's a bunch of people actually standing in the back. If you've got some empty spots, would you scooch in towards the center? Let them drop in on the ends of the aisles. That would be a big help because there are actually some people standing out in the back. Thanks. When you see a um, homeless person, somebody on the street corner begging for food, maybe holding a sign, will work for food, um, three children at home, unemployed. When you see that, what do you think? What's the first thought that comes to mind? If they worked harder, perhaps they could do better. There's a government program that will take care of them. What is it that you think? What's the first thing that comes to mind? This illustration would have worked perfect in the amphitheater, so you'll have to pretend. You're sitting on the edge of the amphitheater, and some of you have heard a different version of this, and you look out, and it is spectacular. I'm discovering that Summit County is spectacular all the time. Even when it's raining, it's pretty spectacular. And you, and you see the sun rising and, uh, over, the, over the reservoir, and you know what I mean, how gorgeous it is. Uh, it's just, how do you describe it? It's, so, it's too magical. I can't put it in Facebook words. I tell my, I try to describe it, and my friends around the country, um, they're saying, where is this place that you live? But then you hear uh, this retching sound, and you look down and you see a person, a homeless person laying there, and, and uh, maybe their beard's matted, maybe their eyes are rolled back in their head a little bit, a little disorganized, maybe they haven't bathed in a long time. Where do you see God the clearest? In the creation or in this person? The Bible is pretty clear that only one is made in the image of God. What do you see when you see a person like this? I've asked Dave Hunsinger to come read a story by Max Lucado before we get into the story of the blind man today. our kids on a vacation to a historical city. While going on a tour through an old house, we followed a family from New York City. They didn't tell me they were from New York. They didn't have to. I could tell. They wore New York City clothes. 
Their teenager had one half of his head shaved. On the other half of his head, his hair hung past his shoulder. Their daughter wore layered clothes and long beads. The mother looked like she raided her daughter's closet. And the dad's hair was down the back of his neck. I had them all figured out. The kid is probably on drugs. The parents, midlife crisis. They were rich, miserable, and in need of counseling. Good thing I was nearby in case they wanted spiritual counseling. After a few moments, they introduced themselves. I was right. They were from New York City. But that's all I got right. When I told them my name, they were flabbergasted. We can't believe it, they said. We've read your books. We use them in Sunday school. I tried to get over to hear you when you spoke in our area, but that was our family night and Sunday school? Church? Family night? Oh boy, I'd made a mistake, a big mistake. I applied the label before examining the contents. We've all used labels. We stick them on jars and manila folders so that we know what's inside. We also stick them on people for the same reason. John tells us of a time the disciples applied a label. Jesus and his followers came upon a man who had been blind from birth. Here's the question the disciples asked Jesus. Teacher, whose sin caused this man to be born blind? His own sin or his parents? That's from John 9. Never mind the man's a beggar in need of help. Never mind the man has spent his life in a dark cave. Never mind the man seated in front of them is in earshot of their voices. Let's talk about sin. How could they be so harsh, so insensitive, so blind? The answer, and you may not like this, it's easier to talk about a person than to help a person. It's easier to debate homosexuality than to be a friend to a gay person. It's easier to discuss divorce than to help the divorced. It's easier to argue about abortion than to support an orphanage. It's easier to complain about the welfare system than to help the poor. It's easier to label than to love. It's especially easy to talk theology. Such discussions make us feel righteous, self-righteous. And as long as I'm confessing sin, I might as well confess another. We had such a theological discussion in Brazil. We missionaries debated whether we should offer communion to people who are not members of the church. Our reasoning? Well, what if they aren't faithful? What if they aren't truly converted? What if their hearts aren't right? If we offer communion, we could be leading them to eat the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy manner, thus leading them to sin. So we decided first-time visitors could not partake in communion. We meant well. Sounded right. But I learned a lesson. Guess what happened? That very week, a friend told me he'd like to visit the church. The same friend we had been inviting for weeks. The same friend who had shown no interest at all was suddenly interested. At first, I was elated. Then, my heart sank. I told him he could come, but he couldn't partake in communion. As long as I live, I'll never forget the look on his face as he passed the communion plate to the person next to him. He never came back to church. Who could blame him? We applied the label before we looked inside. Is it right to say that religious discussion is wrong? Of course not. That is to say, we should be unconcerned for doctrine or lax in desire for holiness? Absolutely not. That is to say, there is something wrong with applying the label before examining the contents. Do you like it when people label you before they know you? So, you're unemployed. That means you must be a bum. Hmm, you're an accountant. Must be dull. She's an Episcopalian. Must be liberal. She's an Episcopalian who voted for Obama. Must be liberal beyond belief. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were a divorcee must be immoral. He's a fundamentalist, narrow-minded half-wit. Labels. A fellow gave me one the other day. We got into a lively discussion about some ethical issues. Somewhere in our conversation, he asked me what kind of work I was in. I told him I was a minister, and he said, oh, I see. 
and grew silent. I wanted to say, no, 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 wait. No, you don't. You don't know what I mean. Don't put me in that box. I'm not a minister. I'm Max who ministers. Don't box me in with all those hucksters and hypocrites you may know. That's not fair. Labels, so convenient. Stick them on a person and you know what pantry to use. What if God did that with us? What if God judged us by our outward appearance? What if he judged us based on where we grew up or what we did for a living or mistakes we made when I was young? He wouldn't do that, would he? From Matthew 7, don't judge other people or you will be judged. You will be judged in the same way you judge others. The amount you give to others will be given to you. Be careful when you judge. That doesn't mean we shouldn't discern. That does mean we shouldn't pass the verdict. The amount of grace you give um, is the amount you get. Jesus had another view of the man born blind. Rather than see him as an opportunity for discussion, he saw him as an opportunity for God. Why was he blind? So God's power should be shown in him. What a perspective. The man wasn't a victim of fate. He was a miracle waiting to happen. Jesus didn't label him. He helped him. Jesus was more concerned about the future than about the past. Who do you best relate to in this story? Some of you relate to the man born blind. You've been the topic of conversation. You've been left on the outside looking in. You've been labeled. If so, learn what this man learned. When everyone, when everyone else rejects you, Christ accepts you. When everyone else leaves you, Christ finds you. When no one else wants you, Christ claims you. When no one else will give you the time of day, Jesus will give you the words of eternity. Others of you will relate to the observers. You've judged. You've labeled. You've slammed the gavel and proclaimed guilt before knowing the facts. If that is you, go back to John 9 and understand what the work of God is. While it is daytime, we must continue doing the work of the one who sent me. What is the work of God? Accepting people, loving before judging, caring before condemning. Look before you label. Thank you, Dave. I love this story. I just, it just astounds me. Jesus and the disciples walking by, and they see the blind man, and they ask right in front of him, who sinned, him or his parents? Are you kidding me? I wonder if the blind man was sitting there thinking, hey, I'm here, I can hear you. At least we tend to hide our questions and our labels from people, and they don't see them. We think them, or we may share them privately, but right out in public in front of people. We are focusing on a theme this summer, Identity theft. Who is Jesus? Who is the real Jesus? Who's the Jesus that the Bible reveals? Because it's been my observation and my experience that culture has stolen the identity of Jesus. The media has stolen the identity of Jesus. And I don't like what they're presenting. So Mark and I decided to take the summer and do snapshots out of John and to continue to give you a picture of who this Jesus is. So we're going to work our way through John 9. So if you have a Bible you want to follow along, a tablet, a PDA, whatever you have your Bible on, I'm okay. If you want to text while we're doing it, I'm fine with that too. You know, uh, Maybe Bibles in the seats in front of you, I'm not sure. If not, you really want one and you can't find one, just steal your neighbors, it'll be okay. Okay? So John 9. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What a fabulous, fabulous start. This reflects the Jewish thinking of the day. That uh, the only reason that person was like that was because somebody had sinned. That's the only reason. And that was very common among the, the uh, teaching of the great teachers at that era. So the disciples are actually just reflecting what the culture thought. Who sinned? Him or his parents? And Jesus stuns them and said, neither. There may be another reason 
completely another reason why this person is here, and that has to do with the Father and glorifying Him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, pause. In the chapter before, for those of you that were here last week, you remember this. In the chapter before, he's at the Festival of Tabernacles or Booths. You may remember just a quick summary. That's when all of uh, the Jews moved out of their homes and they lived in tents and homemade shelters and lean-tos. And in Jerusalem, that's when they celebrated God caring for them in the 40 years of wandering. This was one of the three festivals that they were required to celebrate every year. And all the Jews from around the world, all the male Jews, and, they could, and many of them brought their families, were required to assemble at the temple and to celebrate this. It was a time of great partying and celebration. Uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy both say, do this with great joy. We have records that they uh, sang and danced 24 hours a day for eight days. The music didn't stop. The dancing didn't stop. This was a fun celebration to remember what the Lord had done. And the two great uh, symbols of this festival were the light, the lights where they would light the menorah candles, and the water. And so on the last day of the feast, the priest would walk over to the pool of Siloam, remember that, dip the water, lead the procession of people back to the temple. And when he got to the temple, they would be dancing and singing the Psalms 113 through 118. And while they were dancing and singing, he would pour the water out on the altar to symbolize God's care. Because in the desert, they needed water, didn't they? And God provided water. We actually have some of those stories recorded. One when Moses struck the rock, and one when Moses struck the rock, but he was supposed to speak to the rock. Two great stories. God provided water. Where are you going to get water in the desert for a whole nation? So God had it to take care of them. The second great symbol after that was the priest would light the candles, the menorah candles. And again, the men would be dancing around. They'd be singing Psalm 120 to 134. Those are the ascent psalms that they would sing when they worked their way up to the Temple Mount to praise God. And as he's lighting the candles, they would sing these psalms. So when Jesus, I mean, when the priest pours out the water, Scripture said that Jesus is standing off to the side, shouts in a very loud voice. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. I have water that will flow up and overflow, and you will never be thirsty again. And then when the priest is lighting the candles, he's standing again off to the side, shouting in a loud voice, I am the true light of the world. Anyone who turns to me will never again see darkness but light. So right in the middle of this huge party, they're celebrating these two with these two symbols, the great, the greatness of our God, and they missed it. God is standing right there in their midst. Jesus. John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten, he has revealed him. No one has seen God at any time. Ever. Ever. But the only begotten, Jesus, he has revealed him. Jesus is the full expression of God. Or as he says later on, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so here he is in this great party. God has visited his people, us, and he's standing here in the temple, and they missed it. So what happens right after this? This is the very next scene. As he went along, probably still in the region of Jerusalem, the next great festival hasn't occurred yet. That's coming just down the road a little bit. So he's still in the area and he finds a blind man. And so the disciples ask the question that sets up this whole story. Who sinned, him or his parents? He said, neither. Neither of them. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I am the light of the world. Now, when we read this story, I want you to pay attention to all these characters because you're going to see them all changing. They're all going to show transformation. And it's pretty interesting the way they change. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. I love God's sense of humor. We just tore up our concrete this week to repair it out front. And what happens? It starts raining every day. 
we have our own little Dylan Reservoir out here. And I thought about seeing if somebody is in here blind, that we could go out and, and take the mud and wipe it on their face, and you could see what it looked like. And you couldn't come in the front door, could you? And it rained today, so everybody's coming in the back door. That's what he did. He took mud, and he mixed it with his saliva, and he, and, he, and he put it on his eyes. And then what did he say? Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Remember, this is the pool that the high priest would dip the water in, come back into the temple just a few days before, and pour it out, symbolizing God's care. So with this one statement, he is demonstrating that he really is uh, a thirst quencher. That water, true water, does come from the Lord. Thirst quenching water. And this is what was taught in Ezekiel 36. When the Messiah comes and he brings his spirit, he will be like cool, refreshing water, cleansing water. So Jesus tied this festival to this miracle that's about to happen when he's sitting through the pool of Siloam. And by the way, one other thing that he did was he demythologized, he de, uh, deified, he deconstructed, he took apart, he abolished, he ended all of the superstition around the various pools in Jerusalem. We heard a few weeks before, the lame man sat next to the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. If I could just get into water, I'll be healed. And Jesus walks up and says, do you want to be healed? And he healed him. In fact, this story is laid out almost identical to that story with two very different outcomes. And so it's not about getting in the water. It's about knowing the right God. That's the answer. And we serve the one true living God. And in this story, Jesus is standing here in our midst doing this miracle. Well, and then John gives us this little uh, tiny editorial comment. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. Which is a fantastic word in Christian theology. Sent. Did you know the word apostle means the sent ones? And if you want to have fun, go back and think about who all God has sent over the millennium. You have prophets, right? You have kings. You have great people who weren't either one sent. Thinking of Deborah, Esther. God sent, what did Mordecai say to Esther? Perhaps it is for this very reason that God sent you. Brought you to this place. He sent the apostles. He sent his son. That shows something about the love of God. That God is very proactive. He's very initiatory. God is not passive. He's very active. He comes after each of you. And I've asked this question over and over again in my Long life as a Christian. How many people have I come across? And maybe you're one of them where you just feel God tapping on your shoulder. Maybe he's whispering your name. Maybe he's whispering your name. You can't see him. He's in the shadows, but he's there. And you just hear that name being called. And you, you can't explain it. How do you explain mystery? But you're being drawn into this relationship with this living God. How does that happen? We focus in the United States, we focus in the Western church, I should say, on the event of conversion. But that's not how these people thought. In fact, where does it, where does it show us where the apostles came, turned to Christ and became saved? They did do that, but that wasn't what was important. It's a journey of belief in John. They're on this journey and they're making their way closer to the Lord. We're going to see this with the blind man. So in the beginning, they know he's a great teacher. Then you know he's a rabbi. And then they begin to wonder if he's not the Messiah. And by the end of this John, they're on their knees worshiping him, saying, you truly are God. Where on that journey did they convert? I have no idea. So maybe you, some of you are on that road and you hear that whisper calling your name. So the man went and came, he washed and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging said, is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. They can't figure it out. I think you would know the guy. 
he lived with him all, you know, all these years, but apparently they didn't. So verse 13, so they brought to the Pharisees this man who'd been born blind. We can't figure it out. We'll take him to the religious leaders. They'll know what to do. That's gotten more people in trouble over the years. And <laughs> no different here, by the way. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Little tiny detail, very critical. Because Jesus consistently did these miracles on the Sabbath. Because you weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath, and that included doing miracles. I know in our world it doesn't make sense, but in their world it did. And the fact that he had made mud violated the Pharisees' rules on what the Sabbath was about. This is working. You're not allowed to work. Never mind the fact that a blind man is just healed. Not allowed to work. Why did Jesus do that Sabbath after Sabbath? Because he was claiming to be God. Because the Jewish leadership, Jewish theology taught only God worked on the Sabbath. That was it. We knew that because people died and babies were born. Those are the two examples that they used to illustrate that God was still at work. Plus, the, uni- the universe didn't disintegrate. It's, it was held together. Therefore, God must still be at work on the Sabbath. But he's the only one allowed to work on the Sabbath. No one else is allowed to work. So when Jesus picked the Sabbath consistently to work on, he's making a very bold statement here in front of all these people. And they got it. They didn't miss it. Therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he had received the sight. This is a man born blind. Well, he put mud on my eyes. The man replied, and I washed, and now I see. So some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. This Jesus guy is not from God. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What did you to say about him? It was your eyes that opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. Now, in verse 11, he called him a man. All of a sudden, now he calls him a prophet. You begin to see this blind man who uh, can now see, actually beginning to see with really better clarity. And that's what happens on the road to Jesus. You begin to make sense of things. They still did not believe that he had been blind and they received his sight. So what do they do? They call his parents. Is this your son? Well, yes, our son. So um, uh, how is it that he can now see? And the parents, being courageous like most parents, we know he is our son and that he was born blind. But how he can see and open his eyes, we have no idea. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Once again, sometimes when you go to pastoral leader, or to leaders of, of Christian organizations, you get in trouble. We're not, we're not Jesus. Don't forget that. We're not. That's right. <laughs> they were afraid because the Jewish leadership had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, some of your translations say the Christ, it's just the Greek word for the word Messiah, Whoever acknowledged that he was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Boy, is that abuse of power or not? You acknowledge Jesus is the Messiah, you're done. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God and tell the truth. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, this is a blind man talking about Jesus, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. I love it. They asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Okay. When the lame man was healed... He ratted Jesus out. Even though Jesus warned him and said, be very careful. Don't go and sin anymore. Don't, don't make this worse. He didn't stand up for Jesus. He didn't worship Jesus. He didn't ascribe honor and glory to Jesus. He ratted him out. Turn him in. He was a traitor. But look what this guy's doing. Verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him. This is a very strong world. Word. They began everything they could to embarrass and mock this person and insult them. Remember, this is a blind person. He's one of the lowest of the low in the society. Very few societies, in fact, I don't know of any, where the marginalized people are the people of value. True? It's not true in our society. If 
I were to ask for a show of hands, I bet most of you would raise your hand. When you see a homeless person, how many of your first thought is either if they only worked harder, they would be okay, or there's a government program that will take care of them? Versus how many of you, when you see a homeless person, say, here's a chance to see God's glory at work, and I'm responsible. They hurled insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And I love the man's answer. You think he's getting scared? No, no, no. He said, now, here is an interesting thing. This is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, so he's gone from man to prophet to a man sent from God, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So we have this marginalized, blind person who's, I'm sure, never had the opportunity within culture to become educated, and he's taking on the Jewish leadership. Who do you want to be like? The blind man or the lame man? On your journey to Jesus, do you find yourself growing stronger? You hear me say over and over again, don't be ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'm not stupid. I'm not afraid to call myself a Christian. I'm not afraid to be mocked. Last week, for those of you that heard, I told you the story of San Francisco when I shared in a bar with three guys. I'm not afraid of that. We have the words of life, don't we? The people that mock us need those words of life. Let them mock. Let them mock. It's okay. Be strong and courageous. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So they replied, oh, you're right. We should believe in Jesus. <laughs> no. <laughs> you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. It's done. The final sequence. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him as well. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped. It's the only story in John where... Somebody bows down and worships Jesus. Jesus was very, very knowledgeable. He knew the law. This is a statement about his deity. Because if he was not God, he would not have been permitted to allow worship, to receive worship. He didn't stop the man. And so this is a very strong statement especially when you tie it to the fact that he did this on the Sabbath, making a very bold statement, and the man got it. So this blind man who was blind has us on this journey, and every step of the way he sees more clearly. The Jewish leadership, who claimed to see clearly every step of the way, they became more blind. Which journey are you on? Listen to the final words. Some of the Pharisees who, I love this, the Pharisees are standing right there. Jesus is bold. He's not ashamed of Jesus. They stand, they're standing right there and they say, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So the person who is blind receives the true light and they begin to make sense of the world around them. And that's really what turning to Christ is. It's beginning to make sense of the world around us. Doesn't mean we're better. We're not. We just now, for the first time, begin to understand how hurting people truly are. We have the words of life. If we can't reach out and love marginalized people, who can? What journey are you on? We're going to celebrate communion in just a little bit. So I'm going to ask the communion servers and those that are going to pray to come on up. And... Um, It'll be a little interesting in this building as opposed to the amphitheater. So I'll give you some instructions in just a moment on communion. But communion, as a Christian, we are proclaiming the death of Jesus. That's what 1 Corinthians tells us. 
We are proclaiming the death of Jesus. Jesus died for us. In fact, uh, give me a couple of, give me the bread and the wine. Bread and the. This is what it's all about. First Corinthians says, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he uh, broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And when you come to receive communion, there will be someone who will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Hebrews says that with a new priest comes a new covenant, a new law. It's called the new covenant. The Mosaic covenant is done. The new covenant is there. This cup represents uh, the new covenant in my blood. And every time you partake of this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as Christians, that's what we believe. And I know it'd be a little crazy in here with uh, so many people. Your traditions are all a little different. That's why we're a community church. I love it, by the way. And so I'm going to invite you in just a second to come up. And if you want to eat the bread and drink the cup right here, that's great. Praise the Lord. If you want to go back and meditate for a little bit at your seat and do it, that's great. We won't do it together as a church. If you want to come with your family, praise God, come with your family. If you see somebody here in the church that maybe you've had a little bit of a falling out with and you can't, you don't know how to fix it, just go to them and say, can we just set that aside and come celebrate this? You can bring your cups back with you if you want. There's baskets on either side. You could put them in there. And as Mark said, we, if God has led you to uh, bring an offering today to him, we promise to use your money well. In fact, part of your money is going to Bags, Wyoming this week. We promise to use it well. And so we would, we would invite you to be generous with us and to give as part of your worship experience. So the way this is going to work, you're going to come forward. It's going to be a little crazy with so many people. So if you already haven't done it, it looks like you have. I want to make sure there's communion servers back there for the group that's going back way into the overflow, way back there in the back, into the commons. I see you back there, Rob, <laughs> waving, a lot of people. So let's pray together, and then come on up. Father, with this incredible experience here and the honor of receiving communion, we proclaim the death of your son until he comes back. In Jesus' name, amen. So come receive communion. you would like someone to pray with, there's people up here as well, just standing here. The ones that aren't holding communion trays, come on up and pray with them. We love to pray with people. Tell us about your praises, your needs.
So the words are there if you guys want to join us in singing this song. Song, Jesus. 
my hope. Be my hope. Be my song. Jesus. With such a large crowd, and by the way, those of you that are visiting, thank you for choosing to worship with us. We enjoy every year all of you coming in. With such a large crowd, I realize that not all of you had a chance to pray with someone if you wanted to. And I'd like to invite you afterwards to come up front. I'll be here. I'm sure Mark's going to be wandering around. And, and, um, and some of you in the back, if you didn't have a chance to pray, we'll also have elders out in the, uh, the Northex area there. If, um, if you didn't have a chance to, to give and the Lord has led you to do that, there'll be somebody out there with a bag that you can put it in or you can stop and pray with them. So let me, let me invite you to do that because we love to pray with people. Perhaps you want to talk about Jesus and you're somewhere on that journey. You don't know where you are. That's okay as well. We love to talk about Jesus. Perhaps you have a praise you want to share. We love praises. Perhaps you have a need. If we can help, we love to help. Come talk to us. Let me give you this one concluding thought. In, uh, in the Western church in the United States, it's very easy to think of Christianity in terms of a box of this is what defines a Christian. If you're in, you're in. And if you're out, you're not. And um, what would happen if you were to think about this blind man and the journey that he was on and the Pharisees and the journey they were on? So what would happen if you got rid of the box and you have the cross? Maybe you have somebody really close, but that's moving away. And maybe you have somebody way out here that's moving this direction. Who would we rather have? We'd rather have these people out here moving toward the cross, right? So think about your own journeys. Come pray with us. Come spend time with us. Tell us about your journey. Have a great week. Uh, be safe out there, especially for those of you that are going home from vacation. Enjoy the week. Greet one another on your way out. You're dismissed. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Through many damned my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear The hour I first believed Amazing grace How sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost But now I'm found Was blind But now I see Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And when we've been there ten thousand years, bright, shining as the sun, We'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope secures. He will my shield and my portion be as long as life endures. 
And with the rest of my days I want to walk in His ways Following the steps of the sun And I'll stand in His grace Until the day I see His face Till the day I know my race is run Amazing grace How sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now.